It is time for another episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. I am Jason Foy. Of course, I am joined by the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. We're here to break down UFC Mexico. Goes down tomorrow night there in Mexico. Pete, how's it going, man? What's going on, Jason? What's up, everybody? Um, Happy to be here in a very stacked MMA-filled weekend. I mean, you got the PFL Bellator card, and then you have the UFC card. That Obviously, we're looking forward to breaking down. Something I, I will mention here right at the beginning of the show about that uh, PFL and Bellator card is if you're looking to bet that fight card, especially with the champion versus champion fights that are on that card, PFL official did confirm me all those fights are three-round fights. Uh, and the fight card did lose a fight earlier today. Uh, Gabriel Braga pulled out of his fight against Patricio Pitbull. Of course, he was initially supposed to take on Aaron Pico. He ended up t- uh, replacing Pinedo, who pulled out about a week, week and a half ago. So that fight is off the card. I'll say this. The, the fight on the PFL Bellator card that intrigues me the most is the Clay Collard AJ McKee fight. Yeah, I'm, I, I like them all. I mean... Uh... I, I think that that's a an interesting test for AJ McKee. I really do. I feel like people mm-hmm. still sleep on Clay Collard. I, I really feel like he can uh, sprawl and brawl his way to beating a lot of people. But uh, we'll, we'll see if AJ McKee has the, the game plan to beat him. But all in all, I mean, you talk about promotion versus promotion. This is something we've, we've kind of dreamed of for a long time, but it was always Bellator versus the UFC. It's just nice to see a stack card. Like, I mean, look, top to bottom, that card is filled with talent and intriguing matchups that, you know, if they had a DFS card for PFL Bellator, Mm -hmm. I would be playing that much more than I'd be playing this weekend's card. By the way, don't be that person that that lays five to one odds on Carissa Shields. Don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm, look, I think this is a tailor-made matchup for her, but like, just enjoy the fight. Do not bet a five to one Curtis Shields. I'm just saying. I really haven't even like you know looked into the PFL uh, Bellator card extens- extensively. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean she's shown enough red flags for me to not want to get behind her. She, I mean she's still learning. It takes a very long time to, to get behind somebody like that. There's not a lot from a betting perspective that I love over there. Um, I, I think for the most part, I think that the Bellator Fires will win, if not all, majority of these champ versus champ fights. Um, you know, Eblin, the odds have come down a little bit. He's now minus 395. Uh, Jason Jackson is a six and a half to one betting favorite against so Ray good. Cooper. Yeah, I mean, and, and by the way, that's at a contract weight of 182 pounds because Ray Cooper III uh, has no um, desire to try to make 170, and he's he he's made that very clear. Um, yeah. I don't know what Vadim Nemkov's going to look like at heavyweight. I mean, that that's what kind of the 4-1 to one number there kind of scares me a little bit just because I don't know what he's going to look like. Tiago Santos, Yo Romero, um, yeah, that's just coin flip right there for me. Um yeah, but like if you're looking to take an underdog shot, I don't mind the plus two forty on Clay Collard. I don't mind the Clay Collard call. I really don't. Um, and that's something I was kind of just at work the other night, just daydreaming about. Um, you know, I I think that there's a world where he gives McKee a lot of problems just because he's a tough vet in all areas. Um, McKee could stop him, sure. And McKee probably should wrestle and wrestle often because if you just stand and trade with Clay Collard, his volume and his body work is just going to kind of pull away from you. 
Um, you know, there was a time where Ryan Bader was so chinny and he was just getting dropped and knocked out by everybody or, or hurt. Um, and it seemed like he could wilt under pressure. But Bellator Ryan Bader is completely different. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if he wrestles against Hendon Ferreira, I think it's going to be um, a very dominant showing. But if he stays on the outside, Hedden is a massive, massive man who can hit him with a straight right hand down the middle and just completely plant them. So I, I'm really looking forward to this card, if I'm being honest. And Jason Jackson's a guy, and Johnny Eblen are two fighters that I've been following for a long time. So I, I can't wait to tune into their fights. If you want to do a Team Bellator parlay of these six Bellator fighters in the PFL versus Bellator matchups, plus 847. <laughs> kind of crazy we get plus 847 on a six-legger. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that is that is crazy, um, but yeah, we'll have to see, right? We'll we'll have to see because you know it is in it's in Saudi Arabia, right? Or yep. in yeah, so like you're talking about jet lag, you're talking about being acclimated to um, to to a different region. It, it's different. You, you will see some upsets, so you got to pick your shots. And Johnny Eblen, when he was on Ariel's show earlier this week, confirmed that it's an outdoor venue as well. He said by he Ooh. he. He says, we were looking at the weather, and he goes, by the time I get in there, he goes, it's going to be somewhere in the 50 to 60 degree uh, range, which obviously, um, you know, at least it's not burning hot, because I I remember talking to fighters who, remember when Bellator did that outdoor series at NASCAR events? Oh, yeah. There was a, I want to say it was like in Alabama, it was Alabama or Tennessee, where they were saying fighters ended up getting burnt on their feet because the mat was so hot. Yeah, I I mean, I experienced that firsthand cornering one of of, uh, my friends in texas um it was an outdoor event which sounds fine but you know what i mean it just gets so hot especially when the canvas and the logos are sitting there baking under the sun um i remember the worst thing was like if you got taken down you are just getting completely like burned on your back or the bottoms of your feet and uh it was just not optimal uh conditions for an mma card at all um and, and you know like as cool as it is for outside venues if, if if they don't have something to cover for rain it, it's yeah. just a complete you know silly silly decision of course we are here to talk to ufc mexico if you do have any pfl bellator questions we can get those in at the end of the show also something i do want to mention i got an email from prize picks this morning as uh, it said uh we are riding with an important update at the request of the florida gaming control commission we are pausing our contest in the state meaning florida after thursday february 29th at 11 59 p.m eastern time you will no longer be able to place entries on prize picks so if you're like That's myself and I, I remember, I want to say it was a year, two years ago, there was really some talk about um, the legislation when it comes to daily fantasy sports inside the state of Florida. And, of course, you do wonder maybe how much of this has to do with the fact that, that sports betting now legalized in the state of Florida um, with the uh, the Seminole Tribe and the Hard Rock app. So I uh, just wanted to throw that one out there. Of course, we do have our contest over on DraftKings. The link to that contest is in the description below. And uh, congratulations to Jay Young 3 becoming the first person Person to take down two contests in 2024. He had a 484.34 score last week. He is now in fourth place in this contest. Pete, actually, uh, he had a good week last week there, brother. I don't think I did. I, yeah, you did. I, you, you got 451 points. You finished in ninth place last week. You're now uh, in 11th overall. Ninth. Ninth is a good week. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like, I don't think I did anything spectacular. Um, 
but uh yeah you know you guys are doing great in the contest and it's fun to see where you guys are at super sharp um kind of difficult too for a single entry because I, i'm trying to to balance whether i go cash or gpp but i kind of had like more of a cash build by stacking the main event which clearly was not needed um yeah and holy moly taporia with that knockout yeah, we've got, uh, when it comes to all the events this year, we've had over 56 people playing in our contest. We appreciate everybody that's cool. jumping in there. Contest is getting bigger and bigger every week. That prize pool is getting bigger and bigger every week. So appreciate everyone that's checking that out. And if you want to see those standings, just go over to our Discord. Totally free to join. Great conversation in there, especially uh, as everyone is talking about how they're developing their lineups here for UFC Mexico. And, you know, Pete, we can get into game theory. And I think where game theory has to start here is, and you sent me over a Twitter thread, which was a great thread. Uh, I think I need to do some fact checking on this thread though. Is yeah. is looking at which fighters went early to Mexico to get ready for the elevation. I was listening to the Anakin Florian podcast driving in here, and they had uh, Francisco Prado's coach on, who's who runs Karate Combat. Karate Combat doing an event uh, in Mexico City tonight, and he he mentioned that they went out three weeks ahead of time, and he he said, I mean. I don't think I've heard a coach be this brutally honest in an interview where he talks about the first day they're there, they had one round gas tank. And he was to the point of thinking, we might need to pull out of this fight. Ended up going into the mountains at 22,000 feet and said they're feeling pretty good there. So I thought that was an interesting observation. But, you know, it is very critical. And you've trained in elevation. It's a different animal. Oh, it's completely a different animal. I mean, I, I lived in the gym and, and trained all the time. So I'm always in good shape. Um, when I went out to New Mexico, um, which is 5,000 and some odd change above sea level. Um, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds crazy. I could not breathe. I could not recover. Um, I was like Daniel Lacerda out there with one round gas tank. And you know, it's like, it takes a while to acclimate and it really does. I didn't, I didn't end up adjusting until kind of like the two, two and a half week mark. And then I was training every day, multiple sessions a day, but it was just like, oh my gosh, when is this, when is this going to get better? Is it ever going to get better? And that's why people that train at elevation consistently have an advantage when they go sea level, when it comes to pushing a pace and and having just a, a, you know, an unlimited gas tank. It is a real thing, especially the last time we saw this card, you know, Mexico city, you're seeing upsets happen you're seeing people that should be massive favorites having easy matchups that are just overexerting themselves and not able to recover i think we're going to see um a lot of people you know gas out but also fights get extended because both fight both party parties are extremely exhausted and they can't finish the fight so i think it's going to be a long card i think there's going to be a lot of decisions um and with that you should lean into the volatility a little bit and don't be afraid to put multiple underdogs because i'm telling you elevation breaks people yes it does and, and also you got to think about when you also talk about game theory um the main event co-main event being five round fights what does brian ortega look like I, i'm i've seen a lot of people loving brian ortega this week i'll we'll get into that fight later on but that to me yeah. is when i'm sick in there but like as i was putting together my spreadsheet last night and uh, looking at, you know, really looking at ownership, I, I thought there's certain fights to me on this car that just based on ownership plays, like I'm looking at Zell Huber Prado because I think that's a, a highly likely that that's going to be a finish in that matchup. But also you look at Matthias and Aguilar. We, we've seen with, with Charez and Lacerda, both of them missing weight. Edgar missing weight by five pounds. Uh, all signs are that fight is going to remain on the car. Uh, Claudio and, and Zion is another one to me that those are our leverage type spots here. And that's, 
And, and as I was hand building a lineup last night, I was like, I was kind of sitting there going, okay, where, where is Arnold? Because I want to get to the main event and co-main event just because of, you know, being five round fights. Yeah. So, I mean, like I do want to get to the main event and co-main event. Um, and I'm not going to get away from that in most of my builds. Most of my builds are just going to be simple five rounds, more chances to get points. Um, they could rack up a ton. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that they're in good matchups. I, I think that Brandon Moreno's in a good spot. Um, I also think that Yair Rodriguez is in an incredible spot. And, you know, I, I'm going to back them pretty heavily. Um, in addition to that, it's trying to get away from a chalky fight. Get away from a chalky fight. Which fight's going to be chalky? And for good reason. I think that the Shirez Lacerda fight is going to carry massive massive amounts of ownership because of the the likelihood of a finish. Um, in addition to that, but both fighters just miss weight, as Jason just said. But in addition to that, I do think the Manuel Torres and the Chris Duncan fight seems like a priority as well. It's just it, it's there's going to be a lot of ownership in certain spots, and I, I'm not I'm not afraid about getting different in fading a fight everybody is thinking is going to result in a high score because I'm telling you, man, people are going to gas out. And if they don't find that quick finish, it could be a 15-minute just, you know, let, let's kind of just have a mutual agreement that we're going to survive 15 minutes together. You know, the one the person I would tell you that I think kind of scares me the most when it comes to cardio is Raul. Just because of... Uh, just because of his fighting style, like if he doesn't get a finish early, I, I kind of do wonder if that fight gets in late second, third round, what does that cardio look like with him? Because just of, of the, the pace that he brings with his fights. Yeah, I mean, he trains in Vegas. Um, I, I do think that he possesses the skills to really give Ricky Tercios a difficult matchup, um, you know, but he's young. And sometimes young, young fighters, they're just so naive to facts. You know what I mean? Like their egos are big. Their confidence is um, unmatched. They think that they are just immortal. Um, so they, they completely underestimate something serious like elevation. And the pace that he pushes and the fact that he has also shown to gas out previously, mm -hmm. I think it's a perfect spot to be concerned about. I think that he <laughs> still have a great performance and still look good. But I think it's going to be like, you know, that second round could have gone either way. First is going to go to Rosas all day long. Third's going to go to Tercios all day long. Um, but the second's going to come down to just uh, optics. And I do think um, he's going to do enough to do, you know, to, to get the victory. But uh, he's definitely concerning because he is young. Yeah, and, and of course, if you got any questions on the fights, be sure to leave that in the chat. If you happen to be watching this uh, after the show is over, if you hit leave a question in the comment section, myself or Pete will get back to you in there, or just go in our Discord. That's a one of the easiest ways to get a hold of myself or Pete and talk to everyone in the community and get kind of that take of how everyone is viewing these matches. But Pete, let's get right into it. Of course, our main event, co-main event are both rematches. Let's talk about the main event first. We got Brand Moreno taking on Brand Roy Val. Of course, Roy Val stepping up here on short nose, replacing. Amir Albazi, who pulled out of this matchup. Moreno is a minus 310 betting favorite, plus 250 for Roy Val. Uh, Moreno, 8800 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. And for Roy Val, he's 7400 on DK and $15 on FanDuel. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that this is a great fight. Uh, clearly, Brandon Moreno is going to get tested against Amir Albazi in different ways that Brandon Roy Val brings to the equation. Um, you know, I think Amir Albazi can match wrestling he can match a grappling pace 
Brandon Royval tends to throw a ton of volume on the feet. Tricky with his knees up the middle. Um, very dynamic. Very long for the for the division. Has some opportunistic submissions about him. And is just a tricky out. But I do think that he has some glaring holes in his game that have been exposed in the past. Alexandre Pantoja, you know, showed that you can take Brandon Royval down with with little resistance and put him in bad spots, incorporate some ground and pound, uh, possibly look for a submission finish. He's tough. He he's going to to stay there in the fight as long as he can. Um, you know, in the first encounter, it was a competitive matchup against Brandon Moreno until Brandon Moreno utilized his wrestling. And that's something I want to emphasize here is that Moreno sometimes doesn't pull the trigger on his wrestling as early as I think he should. He's content to stay on the outside and strike. He's content to make it an exciting fight or go back and forth. I almost feel like he makes fights closer than they need to be at times because when he wrestles people, like when he was wrestling Davison Figueredo and getting the body lock and the underhooks and everything, like he, he was just completely outworking him and looking very dominant. And then in some some of the fights, when he just stays on the outside, he's getting hit. He's getting touched up. He's still matching volume, and he's still throwing some. But I think his best skill set is clearly in the grappling realm. And that's where, in the first part, where he, he took Brandon Royval down, you know, obviously an injury occurred. But he can incorporate some ground and pound en route to a submission or a, a ground and pound finish. I want him to grapple early and often because on the outside, Brandon Royval is going to push a tremendous pace. He's going to come out there and try to finish you in the first or second round. He has a ton of first or second round finishes, trains at elevation, um, and he's a tough out. I don't, I wouldn't mind anybody getting behind Brandon Royval. The issue is though, the game plan that has been, you know, shown the blueprint to beating him was in the Alexandre Pantoja fight. Uh, we had question marks in the past, but if you incorporate wrestling, it's a it's a much different fight. And I, I hope that Brandon Moreno incorporates some wrestling. I mean, he had a very close fight. He went 2 of 4 in the takedown department against Pantoja, 3 of 6 against Davison Figueredo. I want him to attempt like 10 plus takedowns here. And I think he can. So give me Brandon Moreno at 8,800 to uh, win a very exciting bout. But I wouldn't fault anybody for getting behind Brandon Royval here if you think he catches Moreno on the chin with a knee or something straight up the middle. Yeah, I mean, I think if you think this thing's going to go 25 minutes, which I tend to believe that's not going to be the case, I think we're going to see a stoppage at some point. I don't mind getting to Bram Moreno as kind of that 7,400 and under fighter just to kind of, that you know, say he gets you 40 points and allow you to build your roster rest over there. As you look over at prize picks, the, the three takedown prop to me, that's a, you, you, if you're going to play it, you play more just because that to me is the clear path to victory for Bram Moreno. But you bring up a really good point of how quickly could he potentially go to that one. I like Bram Moreno uh, in this spot and uh, you know it's also one of those things of you know, I, I, when I think of Brand Royval, I just think of a guy who he just takes a lot of risk that you know it, it just seems like you know, you know there's sometimes fighters will talk about you get to that line and you just don't want to go over that line in terms of getting too yeah. aggressive and that's always been my concern with Royval is that he just I think sometimes he takes unnecessary risk. Yeah, he definitely redlines a lot. Like he he's constantly um, pushing the limits, and sometimes that really works out. You got to risk it for the biscuit, and you got to go out there and you got to try to take a chance. I I really like and appreciate fighters that give themselves a chance to win, uh, especially if you're down. Like say it's the third round, right, in a three round fight, and you're down two rounds. Try to do something spectacular to win the fight because if you know it's going to go 
the distance, you're going to lose anyways. So go out on your shield in a way. But the 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 higher up in the rankings that you get, the more calculated and cerebral your approach needs to become. The issue that I see with Brandon Moreno is is like a couple fights ago against Kai Kara France. Threw 151 significant strikes, landed only 58, attempted only three takedowns, was unsuccessful in any of them. And it's just like that fight was a lot trickier than it needed to be. You know what I mean? Like, um, But I think that Brandon Royval's aggressiveness is going to be used against them here, and we're going to see Moreno rise to the occasion and route to a, uh, and route to a submission finish. Yeah, you kind of talking about that of being down two rounds. It made me think of last week with Woodburn. And in the final minute, I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you grappling? Like, you're not going to, like, and maybe it was just, he just had nothing left in the gas tank. And, you know, but it was, that was one of those frustrating things. And, and I wrote this to Discord last, uh, after that fight was over. Obon Elliott is going into the category of just waiting for the right opponent to fade him. Yep. I told you. I told you. I mean, that chin. I mean, Woodburn, Woodburn touched him and, uh, you know, credit to Elliot going out there, but man, you're playing with fire. You can't finish people, and uh, yeah. So, but, but yeah, I I totally agree with you as far as like you need to be smart, like getting in the takedown with small time. Unless you are like a great, unless you're Mackenzie Dern, you know what I mean so, of that jujitsu tier. I just don't like it. Just swing for the fences. Let's move over to our co-main event, also a rematch, <clears throat> where you got Yair Rodriguez taking on Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega, a plus 135 betting un- underdog, minus 164 Rodriguez. Rodriguez, 8,500 on DK, 16 on FanDuel. Just saying, I think Yair Rodriguez is a FanDuel smash this week. Brian yeah. Ortega, 7,700 on DK and $12 on FanDuel. Yeah, I really like Yair Rodriguez here. Um, I-, I think that... He, if anybody has momentum in this matchup, it's him. I mean, you can take some good things away from the Volkanovski performance. I mean, he defended five takedowns. Granted, he got exposed and touched up. I mean, he got countered off of a kick. And then the uh, the combination of striking and wrestling gave him fits. But it's Alex Volkanovski. I mean, we've seen this guy look really good his past five fights. Jeremy Stevens, Holloway, Ortega, Emmett, and Volkanovski. I just don't know if I could say the same thing about Brian Ortega. Granted, it's been since 2022 against Yair since we've last seen him. This is a guy that his best skill set is clearly in his jiu-jitsu, and that's that's no surprise. His boxing has ever improved. We've seen him pick up some decision wins in the past, uh, looking solid against Chan Sung Jung, putting people in in bad spots on the mat capitalizing and being opportunistic with his submission skills. It's just like he's not the best wrestler. Uh, he went 2 of 11 in the takedown department against Max Holloway, 3 of 10 against Chan Sung Jung, 2 of 5 against Volk, 1 of 5 against Yair Rodriguez. I, I do think that the the range, the distance, and the kicks are just going to be too much for Brian Ortega. I think Yair is going to stay on the outside, chew him up to the body, chew him up to the head, Um and I think that we're going to see a, a knockout here or a TKO for Yair Rodriguez. Um, you know, I, I think just he's he's got too much going for him right now. And I truthfully don't have any faith in Brian Ortega at this point. He could go out there and shock me. Absolutely. But I think that he's far removed from his peak and that there's a game plan and blueprint out there of how to beat this guy. If you just put it on him, utilize good footwork, um, you know, defend some initial takedowns. Clearly do not grapple with him. If you get put in a bad spot, work your way up. 
do not retaliate with grappling. I think that you just got to go out there and you got to you got to hurt this kid. And I think Yair is going to going to knock out Brian Ortega with a kick, whether it's to the body or to the head. Um, but yeah, I like Yair a lot this week at 8,500. If you are backing Ortega, you are just hoping that he gets back and reclaims his his previous form. There's nothing out there that shows me that's going to happen. You know what I mean? He's been inactive since the fight occurred. Yes, he's probably training, but like Yair has had numerous fights since their first encounter, Josh Emmett and Volkanovski. And say what you will, he lost against Volkanovski, but when you're up against one of the most pound-for-pound, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, you're going to take something from that, and you're going to level up your game. And I do think that Yair is going to make this look pretty easily. Yeah, I like Yair. I know one of the popular questions we always get here is like a favorite FanDuel um MVP, I think it's Yair Rodriguez this week for me. I really love Yair in the spot, not getting a ton of ownership at MVP, obviously getting a ton of ownership uh, at utility. And uh, looking over at uh, prize picks, you know, to me, the one that, that sticks out to me the most is kind of that significant strike prop of 62 and a half. If this thing gets to the third round, I think he goes more than that. I just, I, I do have a little bit of concern of whether it can get to round three or not. Um, and not knowing really what to expect out of Brian Ortega. And I was mentioning the stat to Pete uh, right before the show. The last time Brian Ortega got a win against a fire who's currently in the UFC 2017 against Cub Swanson. Yeah, it's a long time, man. It's a long time. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. He could go out. He can snatch up the neck of Yair Rodriguez, who clearly had a massive hole in his jiu-jitsu and probably will always have a weakness in that department. But I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, but I will say this: if you're playing over on Fanduel, and I know we got some listeners that still love to play over there, I will tell you: to me, he is a smash play over on Fanduel at sixteen dollars. I think that's just great bargaining uh, this week. Next up, we got Daniel Zell Huber versus Francisco Prado. Prado plus two twenty five betting underdog, minus two seventy five for Zell Huber. Zell Huber is eight nine hundred DK nineteen on Fanduel, and for Prado, he's seventy three hundred on DK and eleven dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, so I think this is an exciting fight. Um, me personally, it's not one of my favorite fights to target, and I think it's going to attract some ownership. I think Jason likes to fight a little bit more than I do from a DFS perspective. Um, I, I think that you know it's it's a matchup with some good leverage based on some other matchups that we're looking at. We have a massive, massive fighter in Daniel Zellhuber. Um, the Golden Boy has shown glimpses of his potential. He did not look good in his debut against Trey Ogden, but he rebounded with victories over Lando Venata and Christos Yagos, two veterans in the sport. Um, and then you you look at his Dana White's Contender Series fight, and uh, I'll tell you, he, he does have skills. Uh, he gets hit a little too much. I mean, he was getting hit against Lucas Almeida on, the, on Dana White's Contender Series with a big right hand, and guess who has a big right hand and a nice left hook? It's Francisco Prado. So I wouldn't fault anybody for thinking that he's going to, you know, get hit, dropped, or possibly knocked out against Francisco Prado. But Daniel Zell Huber has looked a lot better since coming into the UFC, since the Dana White Contender Series performance. He has uh, utilized his range a little bit better, higher volume. Um, you know, I, I do think that he can be the matador while Francisco Prado is going to be the bull. Uh, Zell Huber should stick and move all night and not be there. Utilize solid footwork. Uh, while Prado's looking to close the gap, throws dynamic combinations, very explosive, very, very powerful. But I do think that if you get Prado outside of round one, you know, he's a little bit more human and and less like Mike Tyson. 
uh, early round one, man, he does look awesome. But I do think that you can, there's a game plan out there and working with Coach Nixick, Zell Huber should be able to stick and move. That's what I'm projecting here in this matchup. I wouldn't hate anybody for getting behind Francisco Prado uh, and, and being the, the person to actually knock out Zell Huber. But I'll be back in Daniel Zellhuber here to win a decision at 8,900. Um, the the kind of the the trick up his sleeve in this matchup, I do think that he is the better grappler of the two. And I do think that he could, in a sticky situation, just chain a takedown or two together, get in top position. You saw, you saw what his ground game looked like against Christos Jagos, um, captured his submission in round two. So I just think that he's the the more well-rounded mixed martial artist, whereas Francisco Prado is clearly the more explosive and dangerous of the two. And one thing I have not mentioned about this car that I feel like I should mention, this is a lightweight matchup. We have yeah. no fights above 155 pounds on this card. I noticed that I noticed that yesterday when I was looking because I'm try I'm always trying to target certain certain divisions, right? Like heavyweights and then avoid certain divisions because of the decision likelihood. And I'm like, wow, this is a very lightweight and undercard. For the most part, something that you did not mention, I want to throw out there about this matchup: Zell Huber with a eight-inch reach advantage in this one. So that's that's always one of those stats I like to look at. But to me, this is a fight that I want to attack in big GPPs because of what I'm seeing with ownership and and Prada. When we're talking about you know taking some dart throws at some fighters who are in this price range and at 7,400 and below, I don't mind getting to him in this one. Um, to me, it's more of a ownership play than anything else. Um, I think if Prado is going to win, I think. It likely comes early, not late. Uh, so we'll see how this one goes down there. And that's why, uh, looking over prize picks, uh, the one that I'm kind of, you know, might sprinkle in some things is that fight time on Zell Huber, uh, maybe trying to go under 11 minutes. So we'll see how that one plays out for me there. Next up, we got Raul Rojas Jr. taking on Ricky Turkios. Turkios, a plus 190 betting underdog. Minus 235 for Rosas Jr. He's $9,000 on DK, $18 on FanDuel. And for Turkey, he's 7200 on DK and $13 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I mean, if you look, like Ricky Tercio should be the vet lesson for this kid and should should go out there and uh, possibly expose Raul Rosas in similar fashion to what Christian Rodriguez did. But, I mean, Ricky Tercio has kind of lost all my confidence in that Eamon's a hobby fight. Like, what the hell was that? This is a guy who was in wars on the Ultimate Fighter. And then, um, you know, like you look at the Brady high stand performance. Threw 171 significant strikes. Landed 100 of them. Got two takedowns of his own. Defended five takedowns, but was taken down numerous times. He he picked up a knockdown, some reversals. So, like, it was an exciting bout. Scored 119. So, I was like, all right, man, this guy's got crazy volume. Eamon Zahabi, a guy that I wasn't really high on. Then he goes out there and Tercios throws 235 significant strikes, Jason. Lands 27. Ow. <laughs> 20, I don't understand. I, I mean, is he fighting ghosts out there? I, I really don't understand. And that's kind of like the worst striking performance I've ever seen. And I remember you know touting him in that matchup, and I'm like, I look like an idiot. This guy throws high volume, but he didn't land anything. He's over here shadow boxing. And then he, he rebounds with a split decision over Kevin Natividad. Now, the, the two victories in the UFC are both split decisions. And the issue is, is that he has poor, poor, poor takedown defense. So he's going to get taken down by Raul Rosas Jr. here. Um, he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but he gets put in bad spots frequently. He's got like no wrestling. Um, and then when you have 
volume striking but with horrible accuracy, it's hard for me to get behind you. If you're backing Ricky Tercios, you're just backing the fact that you think Raul Rosas Jr. is going to fatigue um, and that he's possibly going to, uh, you know, Tercios is going to come on late and, and pick up a decision because he's done it in the past. Split decision, split decision. Natividad and Highsand are two good wrestlers. But the issue here is that uh, Raul Rosas Jr. has better jiu-jitsu than those two. So, yeah, he's an excellent wrestler, but he also has better jiu-jitsu. I think Rosas is going to roll here. Um, I actually think that he's going to get some takedowns and uh, get many of them early. And then what's going to happen is he's going to exhaust himself, but he's still going to maintain in top position. So we could see a solid score, but maybe not a ceiling score out of Raul Rosas Jr. because of the cardio concerns at such high elevation. I can't get behind Ricky Tercios anymore, Jason. That 235 with 27 landed is just something I will never get over. Um, For big-time GPPs, 150 maxes, sure, get behind a guy that's almost minimum price that can win a decision against a uh, an unproven Raul Rosas, whereas Tercios has been battle-tested. But I've lost complete faith in, in Tercios. I think Raul Rosas wins a decision here, um, looks dominant early, gasses out as the fight goes on. Tercios just doesn't do enough in the optics en route to a Rosas decision win. Sometimes there's these crazy stats in mixed martial yeah. arts. <clears throat> kind of like Donald Cerrone uh, admitting that he only got paid $200,000 for his fight against Conor McGregor that sold $1.3 million buys. <sighs> well, did he say that? Yeah, he said it on a podcast, yeah. Yeah, well, you, you need to negotiate better than that. That's yeah. crazy. Yes. But then you look at the other crazy stat related to Ricky Turkios. His two wins in the UFC, like you mentioned, split decision wins. Brady Heastan, 6 for 11 in takedown yeah. attempts. Kevin Nip- Nativiad, 7 of 13. You know, like, so and we know what Raul's game is. But the one thing that is always kind of, when you look at Raul, I mean, he's, what, 19 years old now, 18 or 19, whatever he is now, is how much you know he is growing as a fighter. But oh, yeah. I do wonder, because of the way he fights, what would that cardio potentially look like if if Ricky is able to stretch this fight out into the second, into the third round? What will it be? But, um, you know, I, I look, I think Raul Rosas Jr. is clearly the pick in this matchup. So I look there. I mean, if you look over on prize picks, significant strikes, 30 and a half, uh, fight time, 12 and a half, a fantasy score of 90 and a half. If I was going to attack any of those, I think I'd probably more attack the fancy score at 90 and a half and going more than, um, you know, I mean, look, it's he could really rack up a ton of points when it comes to grappling. Um, so, I mean, to me, Raul Rosas Jr. is the, the right way to go here. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, when I look at what we're seeing ownership wise on Ricky Turkios, I think I'd rather I'd rather go to someone like a Francisco Prado uh, or even a brand Roy Val who, who are getting less ownership. Yeah, I mean, fair points. I, I think what can happen here, because uh, Raul Rosas Jr. is a better um, jiu-jitsu practitioner than Brady Highstand and Kevin Natividad, is a takedown into taking the back and then containing uh, containing Tercios there in, in a body triangle for long duration, which is good control time, may cap the upside a little bit from a uh, takedown, let him up, takedown, let him up type of fight that that tercios is usually accustomed to but i, I think that raul rosas is a, a clearly a good spot and clearly a good spend up it's just there's some other good spots that, that can get 100 plus points and you know I, I think that tercios is going to do enough to be alive 
but uh, Roel is probably going to get 90 plus. Appreciate everyone tuning into this episode of Fight HQ. Of course, a great way to show your support for a channel is to subscribe to the channel if you're not subscribed. Also, be sure to hit that thumbs up. That really does appreciate, does help us out a ton. Of course, if you want to leave a comment, that helps out the old algorithm as well. So we really do appreciate that. And of course, if you check uh, the uh, show notes, you can see some other things that are how you can support the show. And of course, if you do have a, you want to send us a super chat, we do appreciate those as well. Let's move over to our next matchup as we got a female matchup here, Pete. Yasmin taking on Hughes. Yasmin, a six to one betting favorite here. Hughes plus 425. Uh, Sam Hughes, by the way, has been the underdog in every single one of her UFC fights. She's 6700 on DK, $8 on FanDuel. And for Yasmin, she's 9500 on DK and $23 on FanDuel. Yeah, as far as just like punting and, and just, you know, kind of just giving yourself a minimum score and backing Sam Hughes so you can spend up another other areas i don't hate it at all right like you know sam hughes is going to be there she's she's got okay boxing okay wrestling very good cardio uh, i want to see how she's going to look at elevation i think she'll be fine she trains really really hard she calls herself the cardio machine i just don't think she's that skilled you know what i mean like i think she's just like a generalist she's okay everywhere um if you have any deficiency in your game she can exploit it because she's pretty well-rounded and she does push a good pace i just think like She's just no, she's not special anywhere. And I do think that Yasmin Hauregi is a little special on the feet. Like she, she throws really good combinations. She hurts people. Um, she can mix in some takedowns, but it's not her, her strongest skill set. Um, she's just, I think she's the better fighter here. I think she's going to have the higher volume. She's going to have to sprawl and brawl her way to a victory. Um, but you know, the Yasmin Lucindo debut was a good one. She, Threw 218 significant strikes, landed 86. Um, you know, this this is a fighter that I do think is pretty good. Massive price tag associated with it. Crazy line associated with this fight. Would I ever put this, you know, a part of a parlay? No. I mean, it's women's MMA, very volatile. Um, six to one favorite. It's just too much, too rich for my blood. 9,500. She could be in a territory uh, in a territory where not many people want to spend up, and she could get out get a quick win over there um, over Sam Hughes. She did score 129 against Estela Nunes. Um, but yeah, that's because of the two knockdowns, two and a half minutes of control time, pretty high volume. Sam Hughes could get knocked down constantly, but she's going to keep coming forward. It reminds me of like, uh, you know, she she was like Vanessa Demopoulos in a way where like her striking isn't anything special. She does walk people down, but she's kind of a punching bag at times. I'm going to be picking Yasmin Haregi here, 9,500. Contrarian spend up, I'm not going to be in love with it. I like a lot of other fighters better than that, but uh, she should win the fight. Sam Hughes is a fine, complete dart throw, but I'm not going to be getting behind it. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm with you in terms of if you're looking for a pun option of going to Sam Hughes, but uh, yeah. overall, like, do I want to get to a 9,500 Yasmin? I really don't. Like, I just, it's just, it's a price, it's a price tag thing for me. I, I just don't want to get there. Over on prize picks for significant strikes, 75 and a half. Fancy score, 87 and a half. Don't, you know, if you were going to attack it, I think you would. Yeah, like I mean, I, and half, like, I think the 87 and a half fancy score is where you attack it. I, I would not attack this the significant strike prop. I think it's kind of like a, a red flag in a way because 
for being such a massive favorite, you would associate that with a crazy high score. So it's like a trap line. You know what I mean? Like if you're 9,500 on, on DraftKings tend to have like a hundred plus score on prize picks or not. You know what I mean? Like I, I almost feel like people are kind of concerned away in, in a way here too. And also because we're looking at her looking to rebound off of her first loss in the UFC, which is a knockout loss to Denise Gomes. So this could be a very safe win. You got to go in there. You got to get a safe win and be smart and intelligent. And that's why I think she's just going to coast to a three-round decision. Next up, we got Torres taking on Duncan Duncan, a plus 155 betting underdog, minus 185 for Manuel Torres. He's 8300 on DK, $17 on FanDuel. And for Chris Duncan, he's 7900 on DK and $14 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I have concerns on both sides in this matchup. I think this is probably going to make it into the optimal lineup. There's going to be a portion of my lineups that I actually avoid the fight because I can see how it's going to get completely steamed and everybody's going to want to have this bout. And it's because of Manuel Torres. Manuel Torres has unbelievable finishing skills. I mean, he's looked crazy, crazy dangerous in the UFC, knocking out Frank Camacho in the first round knocking out Nicholas Moda with one of the most beautiful elbows you'll ever see. Um, when Frank Camacho was was making him defend takedowns, you did see it tax the gas tank of Manuel Torres. And this is a guy that I think is completely unproven and untested outside of round one. And that's where a veteran and Chris Duncan can actually take you to deep water and see if he can drown you or not. Um, you know, Chris Duncan coming from an, an unbelievable camp, an American top team, which is going to make me back a lot of underdogs all the time. But Chris Duncan comes in with some red flags as well. Like Chris Duncan on the on Dana White's contender series was getting dropped and hurt numerous times. I mean, like Slava Claus dropped him with a counter left hook and finished him. Um, Charlie Campbell hit him with a gorgeous uppercut, dropped him, was almost on his way to finishing him. And Charlie Campbell hits hard, but I do think that a guy in Manuel Torres hits even harder. Um, the issue here comes down to what happens if Torres doesn't get the finish in round one. And Chris Duncan was kind of, you know, putting some tweets out there, getting getting a little pissed off at some people calling uh, his chin a red flag and the striking defense a red flag. But I think it's uh, I think it's fair for people to poke holes in that, just like it's fair to, you know, poke holes that Manuel Torres looks taxed and tired when he was defending takedowns in round one, a guy that hasn't been to second or third round all that often. I think what could happen here. With Chris Duncan saying, don't blink, don't blink, and he keeps saying all this, he's a very cerebral guy. I almost feel like he's just going to try to put Manuel Torres against the cage, make him carry his weight, try to zap the energy out. I do think the better moments are going to to reside with Manuel Torres because of the damage factors in the judging criteria. Um, and I do think Manuel will win round one. And then round two is going to kind of come down to you know, if it makes it that long, Manuel's going to be landing some good shots, but you're going to start seeing Chris Duncan kind of come alive a little bit, attempting takedowns. Um, and, like, the issue is that I don't believe in Chris Duncan's wrestling all that much. 5 of 14 in the in the wrestling department against Omar Morales seems really good. Yanal Ashmose with one hand or one arm that was completely compromised in their bout and no recognition of the injury. 2 of 4 in the takedown department in route to a 15-minute decision. So, like, that's kind of what's making me scratch my head a little bit because I expected much more off of the 5 of 14 against Omar Morales, especially when you're seeing 
that Yanal Ashmuz is hurting in there. Um, so if Duncan survives round one, he could be live to pull off the upset en route to a uh, late stoppage or a decision victory. I think what's going to happen is Manuel Torres is going to knock him out or hurt him in numerous occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a contrarian pick, I will be avoiding this massively owned fight in just hopes that uh, it go- it does get stretched out with Manuel Torres possibly getting a later finish than normal or a decision win just because he's going to be gassed. So the pick is Manuel Torres despite everything, and he comes in with some crazy ownership, which is mm-hmm. why I'm, I'm okay with getting away from it in some of my lineups. But uh, that is the side that I, I will be picking as well. Yeah, that's why I was looking at the ownership and just going, man, that is some crazy ownership of Manuel Torres. And, you know, Sam in the chat said we need both sides of this fight. And, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I think for me, depending on the type of contest you're playing in, you know, if you're playing in a 150 max and and looking at what the ownership is right now on Manuel Torres, I'm sitting there going, like, I understand why he's getting that amount of ownership because of a likely path to victory for him here and the price tag of A300 on DK. I mean, I completely understand that there. Uh, by the way, the price picks uh, prop on fight time is five minutes. Yeah, I'm taking the over on that because yeah, I'm, and- I, I, I'm telling you, man, like, look, if you look at Manuel Torres, victory over Camacho came at 327. I, I think Dan, uh, Duncan might dance on the outside, and then if Torres engages, he's just going to try to pin him to the cage a little bit. I mean, everybody's going to be on the under. That's why they set that line there. Yeah, and the significant strike prop is 31 and a half. He hasn't hit that. He's only hit that number once in the UFC in his three UFC fights. But if this thing, if you truly believe it's going to make it to the second round, I would much rather go with the over 31 and a half significant strike prop than, than attacking the fight time prop. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I think yeah. you're playing with fire with that. <laughs> no, no doubt, no doubt about it. Let's move over next up. We got Hani uh, Barcelos taking on Christian Quinones. Quinones is the underdog here, and uh, Barcelos a, plus, a minus one fifty five favorite here. Uh, Eighty six hundred on DK for Barcelos. Seventeen dollars on Fanduel. Quinones seventy six hundred on DK. Thirteen dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, I mean, initially when I looked at this card. I was very intrigued with a lot of the you know Mexican fighters on the card, obviously, because uh, if they've had experience training at altitude, um, if they're in winnable matchups, and if they could possibly take over late against people that have had cardio issues in the past, and you know immediately we're we're looking at a Howney Barcelos at eighty six hundred against Christian Quinones, dude. I don't know if Howney Barcelos has really fallen all this far. Like, I think that Christian Quinones is fine. He's dangerous, has a lot of finishes within his career, hits pretty hard, knocked out Kali Taha in his debut, um, but got completely worked against Kyung Ho Kang, taken down and submitted in 2 minutes and 25 seconds. There was a time, and I know that time is some far, you know, so far now, but where Howney Barcelos was a true dark horse for the division and a guy that I love backing, and that I was behind and possibly contending for the title. I mean, his ground game, his unbelievable wrestling, his boxing was good, his volume was good. I mean, he's such a killer. Look what he did to Kurt Hollibaugh, 110. Chris Gutierrez, 113. Carlos Huachin, 111. Khalid Taha, 95. Um, victory over Saeed Nurmagomedov, bad score, but 63. You know, it's like... This guy at one time was was very very dangerous. It's just had the wheels fallen off, you know, completely. You know what I mean? Like, it, does he have a flat 
or are they completely gone? And I don't think that they're completely gone. I think this is a good matchup. I think that he can push a pace. He looks to be in good shape. Um, is he somewhat of a gasser at times? Sure. But I think his boxing is good. His his wrestling is going to be the difference maker here against Christian Quinones, who is uh, not the best defensively defensive wrestler. 3 of 11 in the takedown department against Kyler Phillips. If you are able to survive Kyler Phillips for 15 minutes and attempt that many takedowns, I just think that he can do the same thing to Christian Quinones and actually take the back, um, which Quinones was just submitted relatively quickly against Kyung Ho Kang. So I think there's numerous ways for Barcelos to win here. I like him at 8,600 quite a bit. I also like the takedown prop on prize picks of two and going more than two takedowns with, with yeah. Barcelos. Yeah, the issue is, does he need more than one? Because, man, that mm-hmm. performance against Kyung Ho Kang is just an, a bad look. But you know if you just lost a Kyung Ho King like that, what are you doing in the gym? You're working on your defensive wrestling. Get up a couple times for Jason. Get up a couple <laughs> times, all right? And then get submitted. But, yeah, I like yeah. Hany Barcelos a lot. Um, could Canona's chin him? Absolutely. But, you know, I love finding these fighters that in that mid-AK range that I, I can kind of plant a flag on. And even if Barcelos is older, I'm going to be planting that flag on Barcelos this week. Yeah, I like Barcelos here, and, and I kind of think when if you're looking at getting some of these, you know, 7,500 below fires, I think it gets really easy to get to Barcelos over there, and I, I don't mind him over uh, at $17 on Fandle uh, as well, so that's a file stick there. Next up, we got Matthias taking on Aguilar. Matthias is a minus 125 betting fair, plus 105 for Aguilar. Aguilar, 7,800 on DK, $15 on Fandle, and for Matthias, he's 8,400 on DK and $16 on Fandle, Pete. I think a lot of people are going to get behind Jesus Aguilar um, just because he's pretty dangerous everywhere, right? Like you saw against Shannon Ross through a beautiful lined up overhand um, on the regional scene. He does have some good submission skills about him as well. He's active. He has good cardio. Mateus Mendonca looked like a fool against Nate Maness. You guys know how I feel about Nate Maness. Um but in his debut, a weight class higher against uh, Javid Basharat, like he pushed a good pace. He got did he get outskilled? Yeah, he did. But he attempted eleven takedowns, landed two of them, um, you know, and made a fight of it. Scored thirty three in a loss. I actually think that he's going to be the stronger fighter here. He looks to be in incredible shape. Uh, I hope that he had a good weight cut. I think Jesus Aguilar can get taken down and controlled, um, and you just have to be wise to avoiding some of the submission attempts, avoiding some of the I should I can't even say power because that was the only KO victory he has in his career. So um unless Mateus Mendonca completely gasses out, I just I think that Mendonca is the play. I like his jujitsu skills. Um do I think Jesus Aguilar is gonna have moments? Yes. And I also think that Jesus Aguilar is going to uh reverse and, and make Mendonca work, but we're gonna see Mendonca win a decision here, in my opinion. And I think that he's just going to be uh, a little too much for Jesus Aguilar. But if you want to get behind the underdog, by all means, you can. Um, but I, I'm I'm a big fan of Diego Lima's shoot-the-box team. I really am. And uh, I might make a Diego Lima shoot-the-box parlay with a risky, risky, risky leg attached to it. But, uh, yeah, I'll be picking Mendonca here at 8,400. 
And uh, the fight time prop for him is 10 and a half over on price pick. So if you like what Pete has to say there, you're definitely going more than 10 and a half over there. Uh, significant strikes, 32 and a half and fancy score of 70 and a half. And this is, as I look at my spreadsheet um, in the DK ownership tab that, uh, you know, I color code with things. It, my green this week is leverage spots. And to yeah. me, this is one of those fights just because it's just not getting mass. It's not getting big ownership. And so that's why when you're going into these bigger contests, that's where that's where I'm looking at these type of fights and saying, OK, if one of these guys can you believe can be optimal at their ownership right now, I, I love it. Price tag. You love it there. So we'll see you there. Uh, next up, we got a matchup where we have two fires who both missed weight today. I got to check and make sure to see it, make sure it has not been canceled. Uh, and this is a matchup, a, a rematch that I have no idea why we're doing this. I don't know why Daniel Sarah is still in the UFC, <laughs> but he is still here. Uh, Edgar Chavez missed weight by five pounds this morning, weighing at 131. Lacerda weighed at 127. Lacerda, a plus 350 betting underdog minus 475 for Shara. Shara is 9300 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. And for Lacerda, 6900 on DK and $10 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I mean, this is a very volatile matchup. Like completely, completely volatile matchup, and one where we know we we know what we're getting into. Um, the little X factor in this one is that Edgar Shirez now has missed weight, and he's missed weight by a large margin. So what what went wrong? I mean, it almost one thirty one. You said. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big miss. Um, so like, I don't like that. Uh, and you know, I don't like the fact that you know Daniel Lacerda missed weight either. But if Shirez is not 100% or Shirez had a brutal weight cut or he has an injury, obviously the, the elevation screws up a lot of these matchups. And it's tough to tell who's going to have the better cardio. But I can tell you what, Daniel Lacerda does not have good cardio. Um, but a guy that is having a bad or rough weight cut or missing weight might not have optimal cardio either. The issue is, is that Daniel Lacerda, time and time again, Looks really good in round one. Looks really good. He's 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 great at being the hammer. The second he becomes the nail, he breaks and crumbles on the pressure. Um, we have seen him. He should have. He honestly should have had a victory over CJ Vergara. I mean, he knocked him down numerous times. Vergara was turning his back and running away. I mean, that's a that's very very bad body language for uh, any official looking and watching the fight. So there's moments where Lacerda looks dangerous, and he has a ton of round one finishes. When you go back and you watch this first encounter with Edgar Shirez, he got a takedown with relative ease and was out of danger for a little bit. Then Shirez worked his way up, um, and then Lacerda kept his neck out there. And even though his arm went limp, he wasn't out. It was just a it was weird about it body language. So. Again, we're here in this situation, and everybody's going to be attracted to Edgar Shirez. In that first bout, though, I really didn't think that he looked all that good. I, I really didn't think he looked all that good. He threw 20 significant strikes, landed 12. I've seen numerous fights of, of Shirez where he gets put on his back and controlled. I mean, Tatsura Tyra obviously is a prodigy, mm -hmm. but like he didn't even attempt to get up. He didn't utilize an underhook. He didn't utilize a lot of... Um, technical things that you should be doing especially on a you know a fundamental standpoint so like everybody's going to be going to Shirez and he's going to have a ton of ownership I might lean a little bit more towards the underdog just because I think it could be a weird fight 
You know, it could either be Shirez wins as he should, but just doesn't score the best, or Lacerda being a part of Diego Lima shoot the box with some excellent jujitsu is able to stay out of harm's way this fight. Um, you know, utilize his kicks. Maybe he knocks out Shirez. Maybe he kicks him to the body, kicks him to the head, because his kicks are so different. I can't fault anybody, and I can't recommend you guys put money on Daniel Lacerda. But I'm going to just take some chances, and I'm going to be a little bit more uh, more brave than some people, and I'll be putting uh, Lacerda in a lot more lineups than other people. So, um, yeah, get, give me uh, – Give me a crazy fight. The pick will be Shirez, but I'm going to be getting to a ton of Lacerda. Shirez missing weight by five pounds is a little bit of a concern for me, especially when we talk about the cardio aspect. But like you know, you talked about uh, if you want to do a little sprinkle, Daniel Lacerda wins by TKO seven to one. Yeah, you know what? I'm not doing this safe stuff. I'm not doing this safe stuff. It's a red flag. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to go Lacerda. I'm picking Lacerda. I'm changing my pick, and I could be completely wrong. Listen to the smart. If you want to be safe, don't even include this fight. But I'm I'm picking Lacerda. I mean, look, you talk about if Lacerda goes out there and say knocks him out in the first round. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have him in your lineup, you are. I mean, because he's getting essentially no ownership at this point, which is very understandable because of what we've seen in the UFC and the fact of. If this goes to, you know, the start of the second round, what's he going to look like? I know. I know. And, and I, I do think that there is some uh, – I, I don't think he should be a, a flyweight. I think that he should, like, you know – I mean, how many times is this fight going to get canceled or how many times is he going to miss weight? I mean, it's so mm-hmm. volatile. Um, but I do think that he has skills. Like his grappling, he, he, he makes some bow-headed decisions. But these guys are sparring hard with MMA gloves down at Diego Lima shoot the box. I actually think that he can he can pull off this victory against Shirez. Yeah, and, and this is another fight that I have circle as a leverage play. Um, you know, I don't, especially with the missing weight. Don't love the price tag that you got to go for Edgar Suarez here. And to me, I think if you're 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 going with him in your lines, I think it's more about going uh, going against Daniel Lacerda than more than anything else in this matchup. Yes. Uh, by the way, on Prize Picks, uh, seventeen half significant strikes on, on Suarez, four uh, and three quarters fight time, one fourteen and a half as a fantasy score. Um, you know, I, I think I would attack. I think you attack the fight time, and I think you go more than than four and three quarters. That that's a high score, and especially yeah. of a guy that just missed weight too. And if I if I'm thinking he's a hundred percent, then that score is probably right. But I'm guessing he's not a hundred percent. That's a not even close weight miss. Um, that I'd probably take less on that fantasy score. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Fred Zayim taking on Claudio Puelas. Puelas is a plus 180 betted underdog, minus 224. Zayim, Zayim, 8700 on DK, $18 on Fandle. And for Claudio, he is 7500 on DK and $12 on Fandle, Pete. Yeah, you know, this is a typical striker-grappler matchup. Far um pretty well-rounded. You know, he can utilize offensive takedowns as well. Claudio Puelas is pretty lost on the feet. Uh, he strikes and kicks just enough to shoot, you know, really, really ugly takedowns at times. Doesn't set him up. But if he gets you down there, he's very, very vicious with his submission attempts. I mean, he attempted a submission against Felipe Silva. Got it. Two submission attempts against Marcos Mariano was unsuccessful. 
Um, a submission against Chris Gretzmacher, got it. Two submission attempts against Clay Guida, got one of them. Um, and then attempted a submission against Dan Hooker and ended up getting TKO'd. The blueprint's out there of how to beat this guy, right? Like, you have to sprawl and brawl, make him strike longer than grapple, avoid the tricky leg lock entanglements, um, you know, and that's that's a lot more difficult than what a lot of people realize. But I do think that Farazium is just very, very well-rounded. Keep your hips away. Don't let anything happen like that. Nine takedowns defended against Don Madge. Six against Malarkey. Five against Vendramini. Four against Mikhail Figlak. And six defended against Jai Herbert. Um, not too many people have the crazy dangerous submission attempts that Claudio Puelas has. But I think uh, Farazium is going to uh, avoid them early. And as long as you avoid them early, they become less and less likely. I mean, I, I, I do think that we're going to see Farazim pick up a decision victory here. Not a TKO, but I think we're going to see him pick up a decision victory here at 8,700 with a relatively okay score, but nothing special. Yeah, it's uh, as I was hand building a lineup, this was kind of, uh, I had enough money to roster as I am if I wanted to. So that was something I was sitting there. By the way, price picks 44 and a half significant strike prop, 14 and three quarters for fight time, and then 80 and a half from a fantasy score. Not not really a fight that I'm really trying to attack over in price picks this week. Yeah, I mean, not, not, not for me either. Uh, next up, let's go over to, we got Rodriguez and Bondar. This will be the Pete fight of the night, as this is your A200, 8,000 matchup, where Bondar is the A200 fighter, Rodriguez at 8,000. Uh, Bondar, a plus 100 betting underdog, uh, minus 124. Rodriguez is $15 on FanDuel, and for Bondar, he's $16 on FanDuel. I don't know what to, to make of Dennis Bondar, to be honest. I mean, this is a guy who had a great record coming into the UFC, you look at his strength of schedule, and you could poke holes because it's just such a low level, low level opposition throughout it. I mean, it really is. Tons of submission finishes, tons of submission finishes. And then I'm like looking at him in the UFC, and it's just like it's been an odd career. I mean, getting a takedown against Malcolm Gordon, getting reversed, and then having that unfortunate injury resulted in his debut defeat. And then he goes up against Carlos Hernandez, and Throws 170 significant strikes, lands 76. Went 2 of 5 in the takedown department. Kind of back and forth affair. You know, in a loss, he scored 42. So, you know, not the best look. Carlos Hernandez is pretty damn talented and pretty well-rounded. Um, but in that third round, man, he got hit with a beautiful takedown with an incidental headbutt. That happens on almost every takedown, mm-hmm. um, which should not have been reversed, which led to... Uh, because also you can't tell if he's stunned from the headbutt or stunned from hitting his head on the back of the canvas and also losing wind mm-hmm. um, and then got elbowed into oblivion with one of the worst elbow f- finishes I've seen in a very, very long time. I mean, that was a tremendous amount of danger. I don't know what to make of Dennis Bondar, but what I can tell you is he went to Jackson Wink MMA to, to train at elevation for this camp. I don't think he's all that special, and I don't mm-hmm. think that he's special – and I think Ronaldo Rodriguez, a guy that trains alongside of uh, Daniel Zell Huber pretty often, uh, has very, very good boxing. Um, was was on Dana White's Contender Series fight, lost that fight to Jerome Rivera, um, let a lot of people down in there. He does have some power and some good combinations to him. And I'm just not trusting Dennis Bondar here because I do think that Felipe Dos Santos can – defend some takedowns and and get out of some bad spots and 
possibly work his way to a decision victory as most flyweight bouts go the distance. But if Bondar's chin is not 100%, man, I, I mean, these combinations I'm watching, Felipe, I keep saying Felipe Dos Santos, my apologies. Uh, Ronaldo Rodriguez is who I'm talking about. Ronaldo Rodriguez, I think Ronaldo Rodriguez can knock him out. And at 8,000, I actually think he can have the more damaging strikes, whether it's a decision victory or a TKO stoppage. I'm going to be going with Ronaldo Rodriguez. I can't back Dennis Bondar. I just, mm -hmm. I really don't believe in what I've been seeing. And also now that I go back and reflect on his whole career, kind of seemed like a red flag career to me. So give me Ronaldo Rodriguez in this matchup. Yeah, I'm with you there. And actually, that's where I was kind of looking at the overpriced picks. The 72 and a half fantasy score on Dennis Bondar going less than expecting Rodriguez to get the victory here. Uh, next up, we've got uh, that name of, uh, that uh, Pete mistaken there a little bit. <laughs> at first, when he, started, he said at first, I was like, huh? Did I miss something? <laughs> yeah, no, it's my bad because I'm looking at the fantasy cruncher and I'm looking at the, the fight order. And, and I just happen to be talking about the guy that's X. But I'm so excited to talk about Felipe Dos Santos, Jason. Start us off. And he's taking on Victor Altamirano Morano, a plus 255 betting underdog, minus 324 Dos Santos. Dos Santos, 9200 on DK, $20 on FanDuel. And for Altamirano, he's 7000 on DK and $10 on FanDuel. Yeah, man. Uh, I like Felipe Dos Santos here. I mean, I, I mentioned him 16 times prior in the in the previous matchup. Now I'm going to talk about him a little bit. Priced at 9200 I mean, flyweight, flyweight killer. He's pretty big. Um, and he debuted against Manel Cop. What happens often, though, Jason, and you know this, sometimes guys on short notice, they deliver really well, and then their follow-up fights are a little unimpressive. I don't think so with Felipe Dos Santos. I told you guys that I'm going to be backing Diego Lima shoot the box this week. I'm going to try to get it in a three-legger with um, Mateus Mendoza, uh, Daniel Lacerda, and finishing with Felipe Dos Santos. Obviously, you could just go with Mendoza and Dos Santos and avoid the volatility of Lacerda, and I think it's going to set you up nice. Um, Dos Santos regionally was a guy who actually had very, very poor takedown defense. And you can go and look at Victor Altamirano and be like, I think Victor Altamirano in a flyweight bout can survive enough and take him down. Because regionally, Dos Santos was getting taken down. Altamirano did attempt 22 takedowns, which is ridiculous against Vinicius Salvador, only landed three of them. Um, and and I do think that Felipe Dos Santos has really, really, really improved over the course of these past couple of years. Uh, he can actually put Altamirano down, and we've seen when Altamirano's on his back, he's not the same guy. Felipe Dos Santos' boxing is going to be cleaner and more powerful than Victor Altamirano, who gets away with a lot. His chin's up in the air, um, will match volume, but I think he's a guy that's due to get knocked out. Um, and I, I think that Felipe Dos Santos can actually look spectacular here at 9,200. So, uh, give me Felipe Dos Santos to kind of go out there and impress everybody and be like, wow, this kid looks like he could be really, really good. Um, it kind of reminds me of like when Armin Sarukian debuted against Islam Mahachev and we were like, wow, this guy's given Mahachev like the business and, and like giving him a really tough fight. For Felipe Dos Santos to do that to Manel Cop and rock him and hurt him and make it a, make it a dog fight on short notice, I think that the uh, sky's the limit for this kid. So Felipe Dos Santos, ninety two hundred, is going to be the play. I just looked at the uh, the parlay odds for that parlay you mentioned. If you, if you include the Sarah, you're getting nine to one odds there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad. It, it's not bad for a three-legger. And, like, you you know what you're getting yourself into mm-hmm. if you're betting on Daniel Lacerda. Let's be yeah. real. So, you, you just you, you got to be, you know, willing to risk it sometimes. And then our opening matchup of the night, the a.k.a. the Jason special here, Naimov taking on okay. Silva. Naimov, a minus 650 betting favorite, plus 450 for Silva. Silva, 7,100 DK, $9 on FanDuel. And for Naimov, he's 9,100 on DK and $22 on FanDuel, Pete. So this is a situation where on paper it looks like a mismatch where Muhammad Naimov has victories over Jamie Malarkey and Nathaniel Wood. Two fighters that I didn't think he was going to beat. I'm pretty sure I picked Malarkey and I'm pretty sure I beat Nathaniel Wood. Uh, on his regional tape, like he can get takedowns himself. He can he can uh, do enough to close the space. Um, I just didn't think he was anything spectacular. So like for him to pick up those victories, he's doing something right and he must do something right in the cage because uh, Nathaniel Wood's really good. He was able to take him down numerous times. He was able to catch Jamie Malarkey on the chin and knock him out, which we know that can happen. Um, everybody can do that. So this is a situation where everybody's expecting him to just steamroll Eric Silva, and he's attracting a massive amount of ownership, more ownership than my boy Felipe Dos Santos. I mean, we're talking like, you know, Four, four, 40% of the field is going to be on Muhammad Naimov because they're, they're viewing it as a complete mismatch. I think Eric Silva might rise to the occasion and make this a dogfight. Do I think Naimov wins? I do. I think Naimov picks up a decision victory. But Eric Silva is a big, big guy for the division. He can get takedowns himself. We've seen Naimov when he gets put on his back. He is not the same type of guy. Um, and I do think that like... Eric Silva is ever improving, really good with striking, uh, has some tricky, tricky takedowns, and he's been working with Diego Lopez, which is one of my favorite fighters in the UFC for this camp. The issue, though, is like at times if he gets reversed, he plays guard a little too much, a little too content to be off of his back. So um, whereas everybody's expecting absolute dominance with Muhammad Naimov, I'm expecting a back and forth type of match where they both have moments Naimov clearly wins but it's like wow that did not produce the best fantasy score out there and maybe I'm off on this I think I think Muhammad Naimov picks up a victory but I hope he doesn't give up his back in the process because Eric Silva does have a ton of rear naked chokes but also some very very dangerous striking and uh working with Diego Lopez will definitely uh Definitely work on your jujitsu and really just polish up what you need. So the pick is Muhammad Naimov, 9,100. I'll let everybody chase this fight in hopes that he scores massively. And I think it's just going to be an okay score. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get away from uh, Manuel Torres and Muhammad Naimov, I think you're going to put yourself in a really good position in large field GPPs. On prize picks, I do like the more than 10 uh, fight time minutes on Naimov in this matchup. So, uh, you know, in, ter- in terms of prize picks, I-, I think where I really want to attack this card is the more than three takedowns on Bram Moreno, the more than... Eh, I've been leaning to more than six student half significant strikes. I just think that if this thing gets to, to the late second, third round, I think he should be able to hit that number on Yair Rodriguez. Um, and then like the under 11 fight time minutes on Daniel Zell Huber. But uh, Pete, let's get right into our straight up fight picks. These are not DFS related, just our straight up fight picks uh, in the main events. Uh, and by the way, I mean, 
the, you know, the dogs have not been barking in the UFC over the past couple weeks. I feel like at some point we're going to get a car where like five or six dogs come in. I don't think this is that card, but the dogs are going to come barking at some point. Just something I wanted to throw out there. Um, yeah. What was it last week? Uh, what we only had one dog win. What was I? Yeah, it's Taporia. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I had Taporia by knockout, so I was uh, I was liking that I one. Did too. <laughs> I, I I did that at the end because I lost everything else, so I was just like, all right. Uh, what's the only thing that can get me out of this hole? And I bet Taporia KO. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So yeah, we, yeah. we were back in business. Exactly. Uh, give me Bram Moreno in the main event. Yeah, Moreno. Uh, Yair Rodriguez. Yair. I will go Zell Huber. Zell Huber. Uh, Rosas. Rosas. Yasmin. Yasmin. I won't pull the trigger. Give me underdog number one, Chris Duncan. All right, I'm going Manuel Torres. Uh, Barcelos. Barcelos. Mendoza. Mendoza. Uh, Suarez, but don't feel great about it. Give me Lacerda. All right. Uh, give me Zion. Yeah, Farzim. Uh, I'll go Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Dos Santos. Dos Santos. I'll go Namov. I'll go Namov as well. Uh, I, don't get, think, I don't think Silva's a bad underdog, though. I, I have to be honest. Yeah. Uh, let's get some questions. We'll start over here in Discord first. Uh, we get uh, best leverage play. Uh, Eric Silva. Francisco Prado. It's a good one. As as a punt, as a punt play, um, looking at favorites um, that are getting low ownership. Uh, how about Mendoza? I think as a favorite, it gets some nice leverage there. Uh, yeah, so, best. I mean, that's a good, that's a good point. Like leverage can work both ways, right? It can be the underdog. Um, going up against a massively owned favorite, mm-hmm. or it could be a lost in the shuffle spend up, whereas everybody else is going someplace else, and like a Mendonca or like a, mm-hmm. let's say Yasmin Hawergi, Hawergi is like nobody's going to that price tag. That could be a leverage play just be, because of the ownership. Best takedown upside, uh, Bram Moreno really does stick out to me just because of uh, you know the the takedown liabilities in Bram Roy Val's game. Yeah, it's Rosas for me. Uh, rank the 9K options. So our 9K options this week, uh, Yasmin, Raul, uh, Edgar, uh, Dos Santos, and Naimov. All right. Well, I'm going to go Dos Santos 1 for me. I'm a mm-hmm. believer. Hauregi 2. Rosas 3. Shirez four. Shirez could be three, but Shirez four, Naimov five. I would flip flop your two and three. I'd put Yasmin three and I put uh, Raul uh, two. I actually agree with you. Yep, I'm doing that. Just because of the, you know, the, the fancy score upside of Raul with those takedowns, the control, because you know he's going to want to get in the back, be searching for that rear naked choke. Uh, let's see here. Value plays under 8K on DK. Core three plays on DK. Uh, I'll tell you this. So my core is Moreno, Yair Rodriguez, and then my third one um, is Honey Barcelos. Yeah, um, I'm going to go Moreno, Yair Rodriguez, Honey Barcelos. I like Mateus Mendonca as well, though. Like, I, I think that he's in a very, very tricky spot. But I agree with you, man. I, I'm loving that mid-range. Yair is awesome. Moreno's awesome. Both have five rounds to work with. Now, is the Yair fight five rounds? Yes, it is. Isn't that weird? Like, I mean, they wanted it to be five. The fighters wanted it to be five rounds. 
I know. I, I, I was looking at that. I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm fine with it, but I, I don't think that helps Brian Ortega. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, whatever. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm in love with the mid-range. In terms of value plays underneath 8K. Can we include 8K? I like Rodriguez right there. And yeah. Outside of, like... I mean, there's not, I mean, when I look underneath AK, there, there's fighters I go, I see the path to, you know, being in an optimal lineup, but then it's also like, there's a reason they're underneath AK. Yeah, I think everybody's going to like, you could get behind an American top team prospect and Chris Duncan. Yeah. It's just like a very dangerous spot to do, so I'm not going to do it. Like, you can make the case for Jesus Aguilar. I just don't think that. Mateus Mendonca is as bad as he showed against Nate Manus. I mean, he's completely different against Basharat. So that's why I'm not big on Aguilar as everybody is. Ortega, no. Quinones, I don't think that he's the guy to take out Barcelos. Puelas, one-dimensional. Roy Val, short notice, can do it. Sure, I don't mind Roy Val, to be honest. It comes down to Roy Val, Prado, Lacerda, and Silver for me if I had to go deep diving. Uh, favorite core plays. I, I just kind of mentioned that Moreno, Rodriguez, uh, and Barcelos will be for me. Yes, agree. Uh, favorite inside the distance fights. Um, I think you have to look at the main event, co-main event, because of them being five rounds. And, and I think, and I just don't look. I, I don't think Roy Valls a, a guy that you're necessarily going to see go 25 minutes. I think we see a finish in that one. I think we see a finish with Yair Rodriguez. Um, other ones, I think you got to look at. I think Rosas and Turkios. I think is is got to be one you look at to, as an inside the distance type one. Torres and Duncan, especially on the Manuel Torres side of that equation. Uh, Barcelos is another one I look at as an inside the distance uh, fight. Uh, Shores and Lucera. I think is another one yeah interesting I, I'm, I'm slightly in disagreement on some of them uh the okay. Torres Duncan fight is a priority as far as finishing inside the distance um I think the Yair Rodriguez Ortega one is another one um and then after that it comes down to like the Lacerda Shires like those are the three that I, I would really point out uh favorite live dogs um so live dogs to me um i look at francisco prada uh, for I, if i would say this from a betting side if you want to put a sprinkle i put a sprinkle on francisco prada wins round one uh, i would imagine those odds are pretty good um other ones that, that i look at as, as live dogs i think we've kind of mentioned them um i think Jesus aguilar is someone i would put in a, in a live dog situation even though i know you, how much you, you like the other side uh in that matchup um those are kind of the ones that stick out to me the most you're right i mean you're absolutely right um it should be an interesting card jason i, I i'm when when you're at elevation and it's going to be a close fight how can you not want to take some gambles on some of these underdogs? You know what I'm saying? Like anything can happen. Yeah. It's like the next one is a top punt plays. And the two that I will point out is they're both getting low ownership and they both have clear paths. If they're going to win, it's going, likely going to be by finish probably in the first round. And that's Francisco Prado and Daniel Lacerda. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, parlay plays. Uh, Pete gave away, gave away a three fighter parlay. If you uh, if you wanted to take Lacerda out of that parlay, it was still plus money. I wouldn't think it was like maybe plus one ninety somewhere in that range. Yeah. So I mean, if I if I did a mid range parlay, which is something I like, right? I would do a. 
I like three leggers. I, I think anything more than three mm-hmm. is starting to get a little tricky because just the way the just the way the bounces are in MMA. Um, but I I like Mendonca. I like Howney Barcelos, and I like Felipe dos Santos. So like that's that's a that's a yeah. parlay that I actually feel pretty good about. Um, and I I wouldn't fault anybody for getting behind it. If I did that right now and I got rid of Daniel Lacerda, which is a complete wild card. That's still plus two seventy one, but parlay sometimes are good for safe money. Plus two seventy one ain't bad. The road to the mansion over under eight and a half. We've got thirteen fights. Less. Less. Everybody's gonna be gassed. Yeah, which could I mean, result in finishes, but I think it could result in hugging. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you in terms of that one. I, I would say if it was seven and a half, I might go over. Mm. Have we been? Have the uh, over-under numbers been hitting for Sam? Because I, I haven't really been keeping track of that. We should probably keep track of that. Sam, let us know. Did it hit last week or not? I don't remember. Except for yeah, sure I, I said I last, the past couple weeks you put numbers out there. Yeah, I don't remember there. Uh, Ryan says, how about Puelos as a GPP play on DraftKings? Yeah. Open for a leg lock. This is only path to victory. Yeah. So that was last week. Uh, Nakamura. I'm like, why are you going into the lion's den? Why are you just engaging with a guy whose only chance to win the fight is leg lock? That's how I lost all my money. You want to know that? That's how I lost all my money. And and it's because of uh, Nakamura. I had him inside the distance. And dude. <laughs> it was just like, oh, my God. Come on, dude. I watched all the prelims at home. I'm yelling at the TV going, what are you doing? I know. Like, I, I felt like Jason watching me. I was like, stand up. Back up and let him up. You know what I mean? But. I just, I, I was just, I was sitting there. I'm just like, like that was his only path to win the fight was leg locking you, and you kept going into the lion's den. Like, oh man, I yeah. I was listening to some other. Obviously, I like to listen to a lot of different shows as well. But I was listening to the MMA Guru, which I do find hilarious at times. Um, and he was he was saying that he wishes. You know, when you're looking at the tail of the tape and you're looking at like all the metrics that they had an IQ test for each <laughs> fighter, because I actually agree with that, because I wish we could measure how intelligent some of these fighters are with making oh. decisions, because a lot of them are making boneheaded decisions like you're playing with fire. What are you doing? And if it was a close fight and it came down to who has the higher IQ, I'm, I'm picking the smarter guy. I just am. Well, you remember last week, Julian Williams would not even go into the yeah. cage after the fight was over because he was so pissed at Woodburn. Yeah, yeah. that's wrong, though. That's so wrong. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Look. As, you just sat there, you know, and, and you like, you know, no, go go be with him. I don't want to deal with him. As, I, I, I don't like that. As Anik was talking about his reaction in the third round, I was like, come on, UFC production, put a no. camera on the coach. I want to see what's going on. It reminds me of like when uh, Anthony Johnson one time, his coaches, like sprawling brawl, like you can't wrestle, you can't attempt to take down, keep it on the feet at all costs. And I remember there was a performance where he uh, did something, whether he engaged or he didn't break away fast enough. And the coaches, as the fight ended, they they went back to the locker room. And then he was like, where are my coaches? Where are my coaches? And I find that so sad especially now because of the passing of Anthony Johnson. But um, it was just like, dude, when you don't follow a game plan, it really – it means a lot to the camp. But also that they're trying to help you. And so that's like I really wish we could measure the IQ of some of these fighters because I, I think it's a really valid point. 
Yeah, I was listening to Anakin Florian driving in, and, and they were having this question about who is the greatest UFC fighter to never become a undisputed champion. Rumble Johnson actually was one of the names that got mentioned. Dustin mm-hmm. Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Gegard Mousasi. Um, it was kind of interesting because I was like sitting there as, as I was just driving. I was like kind of thinking names. I'm like, and right with Dustin. Yeah, I, Dustin's got to be like, man. Because he was I, interim with the with the Max Holloway fight. Correct. I put Gegard up there. Mm-hmm. I think Gegard doesn't get the respect he should get. I think Gegard's awesome, and he was amazing. Uh, getting spinning, spinning back kicked in the face by uh, Uriah Hall really just kind of halted that yeah. in the UFC. Hey, I'm just saying this. How Robert Whitaker survived that spinning head kick last week, that that probably drops majority of fighters. Also, how, I mean, I was, I was kind of onto something with Paulo Costa. I knew it was a tough matchup. He was practicing his kicks. It just didn't, it just didn't work out. Yeah. But, uh, you know, of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, we're here every week of a UFC event. Of course, we got UFC events for the next two months. So we'll be here every, uh, typically it's going to be on Friday. Sometimes there might be a Thursday based on myself or Pete's schedule. So we do appreciate everyone tuning in. Of course, uh, be sure to join our Discord channel. Totally free to join. Great conversation we've got going on in there. Also, uh, if you want to show your support for the channel, there's links in the description about how you can support us. So we do appreciate all that. Pete, uh, anything you want to leave the listeners with before we get out of here? No, I just want to say thank you guys so much for the support. If you can hit that like button, get us over 100 likes. Uh, recommend the channel to somebody you know. Uh, share our our videos if you could. Let us know in the comments if you guys want to see some more content. I know Jason's incredibly busy. I'm incredibly busy as well. I do think that we could grow the channel to whatever we want to eventually and, and put out more content for you guys. It's just schedule depending. We'd have to do it like a lot earlier on in the week. Um, but if there's something you guys would like to see added to the channel and if it's high demand, we will try our best to do so and keep growing this. It helps you guys. It helps us. And, uh, you know, let's, let's take down a tournament this weekend. Let's win some money. Damn right about that. Let's take down a tournament. Uh, you know, the bank account could use it. Let's just say that the bank account can definitely uh, use. I think uh, everyone could use that, that money in their bank account. Yeah, me too. Uh, of course, as, as Pete said, we really do appreciate all the support that we get here on Fight HQ. Of course, uh, if you want to check us out on the podcasting platforms, we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so be sure to check out that. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Fight HQ podcast. We will talk to you next week as we'll get you ready as we go back to the apex for Fantastic. just some fights. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. See you all next week.